Morning. Uh, I'm Moses Shoyola. I'm one of the lay elders here at LMCC. We're now using that term elder. It feels weird to me still too, but uh, that is who I am. And we're continuing this morning in our Who Do You Say I Am series. Uh, in Matthew 16, Jesus asks that piercing question to his disciples, who do you say I am? And it's an important question for us all to answer as followers of Jesus. And we've been using the message of the series to explore and reflect on who Jesus is, who we see him as throughout scripture from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And the goal is that by the end of the series, each of us can answer with conviction when we're asked that question, who we say Jesus is. And so if you've been following along from the beginning of the series, it's kind of been like a jigsaw puzzle that reveals itself week by week and the pieces fall into place week after week. We started in the Old Testament, putting ourselves in the shoes of God's people to understand what the Messiah was promised to be, what God's people were, ex what God's people were expecting, and now we're in the New Testament. And last week and this week, we've been going directly to the source to Jesus himself, the guy asking that question, who do you say I am, to see what he says about himself and who he says he intends to be, how he says he intends to meet our spiritual needs. And so we're looking at the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And last week, Phil took us through the first four of those statements. I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door, and I am the good shepherd. And this week, we're gonna look at the three remaining I am statements from the book of John, and those are, I am the resurrection and life from John 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life from John 14. And I am the vine from John 15. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine. I'm just going to take each of these statements in turn, look at the context of the statement, and what it says about who Jesus is and how he intends to meet our spiritual needs. So the first of this morning's I am statements is I am the resurrection and the life. And the full statement can be found in John 11:25, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And if this statement sounds familiar to us, even those of us who are not really deeply immersed in scripture, it's probably because we've heard it, because it's frequently used in funeral services. And that makes sense because Jesus is actually using this. He says this statement during the mourning period of his friend Lazarus, who has died. And the full story is that Jesus was really close friends with this family of siblings from a town called Bethany, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's the same Mary and Martha, where Mary was the one sitting at Jesus' feet listening, and Martha was off getting all the household chores done to make things hospitable for Jesus. So they're all really close friends of Jesus, and at some point, Lazarus gets really, really sick. And Martha and Mary send word to Jesus. They're really tugging at his heartstrings, and they say, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Lord, the one whom you love is sick. And what Jesus does next is really confusing to me, because I know what I do when someone I love is sick. When my best friend from college got sick and was in the hospital and his wife called me, I jumped on a plane the next day to Iowa to be with him. And when my daughter caught a serious fever just this week, I canceled everything to get her the care that she needed. And so Martha and Mary are probably expecting Jesus to do the exact same thing for the one he loves, to drop everything and come running. And they were his close friends. They had the inside track to the guy who healed, paralyzed people, gave blind men their sight, raised little girls from the dead. How much more his friend Lazarus, 
how much more someone that he loved as, as much as he loved Lazarus and his sisters. And yet this is what it says in verse 5 of chapter 11. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. I'm sorry, I don't, what kind of love is this? He loved, so he waited, so he stayed, so he hung back. This verse is supposed to read, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so he dropped what he was doing and he got on the first express camel to Bethany. But instead, it says he loved Lazarus, and so he stayed two more days where he was. And after two more days, Lazarus was dead. And Jesus knew he was dead, and Jesus knew he was dead as it was happening. And after two more days, then Jesus says he's ready to go see his friend Lazarus. And when he gets to Bethany, Martha meets him on the road. And she says what we all say when Jesus doesn't show up in the timing we need and how we want him to show up. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says back, your brother will rise again. And Martha responds with some textbook theology that she's heard of. She says to Jesus, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus says the I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live. And whoever believes in me shall never die. And this statement from Jesus shows us a different angle to the problem of sin that has come up so much. Because if sin is our biggest problem, then death is its worst consequence. And in response to death, Jesus says something with actual power to speak into the situation of death itself. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, shall live, and whoever believes in me shall never die. Jesus puts an end to death. Death which God never intended for his people to experience, for human beings to experience. Death, which has been the inevitable end for every human life. Death, which in the end robs us of all the things that give life meaning. Death, the great equalizer, which no one can escape, whether rich or poor, man or woman, wise or simple, powerful or weak. Until Jesus, there was no answer for death. Until Jesus' death was the end game and no one could escape it. Which is why Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She thinks it's all over. It's why she starts saying some empty, powerless, theoretical textbook theology back at Jesus when he says her brother will rise again. She says, yes, Jesus, I know. I know what the experts say about resurrection on the last day. I know. I get it. And Jesus responds, no, Martha, you don't get it. It's not some theoretical resurrection equation in a textbook. It's me. Resurrection is here, and it's me. Life is here, and it's me. And just by the way he says it, Jesus tells us that he is supreme over death itself. Because Jesus, the word who was with God in the beginning and through whom all things were made, Jesus, the word made flesh, existed way before death, and way before the idea of resurrection. And so he says, I am, I am, I am, I am the resurrection in life, and through me all can have life. Through me all who are going to die may live. Through me all who live will not die. 
death is canceled. Death is nullified. Death is defeated. In Revelation 1, Jesus says to John, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And watch this. He says, and I have the keys. Life himself now reigns over death for all who believe in him. That's the first I am statement of Jesus this morning. I am the resurrection and life. And in this, Jesus tells us that death is no longer the end game for all who believe. The second of this morning's I am statements is I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this one comes in John 14. Jesus says it during the Last Supper, his last, the last night of his life before he goes to the cross. And he uses his last night with his disciples to share everything that they need to know to carry out his mission once he's gone. And he starts off the night with a humble act of service. He washes the disciples' feet. And this is so strange that Peter is mortified. He feels that it's wrong for Jesus to debase himself and serve the disciples in this grimy and dirty way. To the point where Jesus has to say, Peter, if you don't do this, you have no part in me. And Peter says, okay, I'm in. And this is important context for what happens next. Because Jesus is telling his disciples what's going to happen, that he's going to go away, he's going to prepare a place for them, and he's going to come back for them. And he says that they actually already know where he's going, they already know the way to where he's going. One of them asks, how can we know the way? And Jesus, Jesus says, says, I am, I the, am way, the way, the, tr the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No Father except through me. Jesus says that he is the way. He is the path to everything we seek. He is the way to being made right with our Father. He is the truth. He is the answer that ties everything together in all of creation and in all of our lives in a way that makes sense. He is the reconciliation of all the hard-to-reconcile questions and realities of life. He says he is the life saw from the previous I am statement that he is the master over death. He defeats death for all who trust in him. But not only that, he brings true life, divine life. Life that doesn't decay, but is ever springing for everyone who trusts in him. And there are two things about this statement that are polarizing. They either make us feel incredibly comforted or incredibly offended. And it's that the statement is both comprehensive and exclusive. It's comprehensive in that it covers everything good for everyone who believes. Everyone, not just the really good people, not just the really respectable people, everyone. Murderers, heathens, liars, adulterers, all are welcome. Everyone who believes has access to the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus. But it's exclusive. It excludes everything good for everyone who does not believe in Jesus. The good promises of the way, the truth, and the life, of the path to being made right with our Father, of reconciling the hard-to-reconcile questions of life, of the ever-springing abundant life, are only available through Jesus. He says he is the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, not a truth, not a life. And in one sense, this is incredibly comforting. Anyone can access it, no matter what they've done, no matter who they are, no matter 
what, as long as we believe. But it's also incredibly offensive to our modern sensibility of pluralism and living your truth, which is why the context of washing the disciples' feet is so important. Because this I am statement is the kind of thing we would expect from a megalomaniac, the kind of thing we'd expect from someone who is self-indulgent and self-important, and what we see from Jesus is the exact opposite. At once he claims, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and where most people who would make that statement would demand to be served, he instead puts a towel around his waist and chooses to be the one who gets on the floor and washes his disciples' feet. It doesn't take away from the offensiveness of the statement to our ears. It doesn't diminish the claim, the comprehensiveness, or the exclusivity of it, but it does let Jesus' followers know that having him as Lord means serving a kind and compassionate and tender master who's full of loving kindness to his disciples. That's the second I am statement today. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the last I am statement that Jesus makes is I am the vine. We're in the same scene as the previous statement. It's still the Last Supper. It's one chapter later. And after making the staggering claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus goes on to promise the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of his peace. And then he makes the final I am statement. He says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Jesus says he is the vine, and one way to look at this statement is that it's reinforcing something that we've already heard from the other two statements, that Jesus is life. Jesus is the very source of life for all who believe in him that through Jesus we have access to all the abundance that God intended for our lives. But the analogy of the vine shows that there's more to it than Jesus just being any kind of source of life, and a couple of inaccurate analogies can be helpful. A mother could be considered the source of life for her children. A charging cable could be considered the source of life for a phone. And in both cases, the receiver of life can exist independently from the source and function to its fullest potential for an extended period of time. In the case of a child, the ultimate goal is actually for the child to exist independently from the mother and be a fully functioning adult. In the case of the phone, independence can only go on for so long and the phone eventually has to be charged. But Jesus' claim to be the vine illustrates that he does not intend to offer us life like a mother or like a charging cable, he only intends to offer life that is permanently and completely dependent on him. These are his terms, and we're free to take them or leave them. But he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Permanent and complete and utter dependence or nothing at all. That's the choice he offers. And once again, this really offends us especially in America, the land of the free, the land of the self-made, especially in New York City, the land of the independently wealthy and independent thinkers. Dependence feels like a step back for us, like prison, like death. 
And what we don't realize is independence from God, independence from Jesus, independence from one another was not our original design. And when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, it was a choice to assert their independence, to believe the devil's lie, that having their eyes opened and becoming like God's was better for them. And that's the choice we make when we choose to have any corner of our lives independent of Jesus. But Jesus offers a different kind of life. He offers the kind of life that is truly life, the kind of life that springs eternal, the kind of life that is abundant and overflowing, if only we'll abide in him, if only we'll choose complete and permanent and total dependence on him. That's the third I am statement. I am the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And those are the last three I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine. And all of us show a different angle to the reality that Jesus alone is life. Jesus himself sums it up best in the scripture you heard read in John 10 when he says, The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. If we believe in him, if we trust in him, if we abide in him, he will give us life to the full. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the statements you make, the claims you make are staggering and shocking. And um, it's sometimes hard to get our minds around, sometimes hard to comprehend. Um, but we know, Lord Jesus, that your name is the one above every other name. We know that in you are the words of life. In you is life itself. And so we ask you to illuminate these statements for us, to show us who you are, to help us comprehend and grasp and accept you for who you are to choose you, to abide in you. You um, can only do this by the power of your spirit. So we ask you to give us your spirit to help us trust in you. We pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.